from the scalp of Victor Mature, it's the DigiGod. Please welcome God's gift to the eight-year-olds. It's Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. All right, Mark. Welcome back. Well, thank you. Don't be surprised if I cough a couple of times in the next hour. All right. How, how, how are you feeling? Well, I'm fine. It's yeah. just it's the new normal now. Oh, I, I, hold on. Corey, who sent that in? That was sent in by Lorenzo Rafa, who we hope is older than eight. Thank you. <laughs> I almost forgot about that. Corey's sitting over here, was waiting to tell us who sent the intro in, and I... Uh, and when we say sitting over here, we mean... I, I mean, yeah. Whatever. You missed your cue for his pre-recorded <laughs> response. <laughs> So how how are you? I'm fine. I, yeah. I feel fine. It's just okay. th- this is the new normal that I, I am the guy who coughs. Mm-hmm. So you're still coughing intermittently. Yes, much less than I was before. I had a chest X-ray, came up negative. But uh, oh, I guess my doctor said that whatever's going around this season, people have been coughing for upwards of six weeks, and we are a little bit past six weeks now. Wow. And I'm still kind of that guy who coughs. Gods at digigods.com. Send in your new intros uh, making fun of Mark's coughing. Yeah, but by then, hopefully, I will not. So is this going to be tuberculosis? Are you going to be like some uh, you know, 19th century novelist who's, who's going to just start spitting up chunks of blood into a, a, a consumption, pocket? A, a consumption, a po- like Doc Holiday or something? Yeah, you know, like a pocket handkerchief. And, you know, you're, a you're, kerchief? And then you look at it, and you don't tell anyone about it until you're lying on your deathbed in the, in the final act, and then credits roll. I didn't want to depress you. Yeah. Um, no, although I do have this dream of being on disability. <laughs> what? How, okay, my question is: yeah. How little damage can I do to myself and still be on disability? You know, I. Um, oh, don't laugh! I really want no, to figure this out. I, you know, uh, I, uh, boy, should I even say this? I know people. Let me put it this way: um, hypothetically, it's possible that I know people in the film business who have managed to uh, bilk the entire disability industry for literally years of wages. <laughs> Hypothetically, I may know those people. Well, well, in reality, you've seen those people on uh, Dateline and all it, those um, news magazine shows. You know, yeah. they, they, they give you the hidden camera. Where he's like, he's, he's, he's on his, he can barely walk when he goes into the supermarket. Then he goes home and he's jogging yeah. in, doing somersaults it's really, and yoga. It's kind of appalling. I mean, it, 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 it's just, it's, it's not right. Anyway, different subject. Uh, so uh, you, did, you were supposed to see Manchester by the Sea last night, but you, uh, you bailed on it. Here's the thing. As, as, I did as too. you know, I work at E! Entertainment Television. I'm supposed to see it November 3rd. That's and, when I'm going to see it. Uh, we recently moved our offices. Mm-hmm. We used to work in an area that was very close to where screenings tend to be, Century City, Beverly Hills, Hollywood. Right. Now, we work in an area that is only 10 minutes from my home. So I think to myself, would I rather drive home and be in my blissful, blissful bed in 10 minutes, on my blissful couch watching baseball, watching the Mets lose, in 10 minutes, or should I instead drive an hour in traffic and then an hour home in traffic to see a movie that they're just going to send me in the mail in about two weeks. I totally get it. Because we get all the screeners. Yeah, totally get it. Now, as we record this, for instance, uh, well, actually, it's kind of a different story, but uh, we both got invited to a very special screening of Loving, 
uh, yes. the Jeff Nichols film. It's at the Academy, my favorite my favorite room in the world. That, be, between it, that and the Paramount uh, Theater, yeah. my two favorite rooms in the world. Uh, but I have tickets to the Dodger game, Dodger yep. playoff game. Seventh, cool. row, seventh row seats. Yep. Seventh row seats. Loving Dodger game. Loving Dodger nice. game. Nice. Dodger game. Good for you. You're gonna have a fun evening. I'm probably not gonna go. Um, you know, it's just it's just too hard. Although I, I I will say this, which none of our fans will be interested in, I got invited, and you sure got invited too, to a uh, a documentary screening of the Mavis Staples documentary. Yes, I did. I got that as well. And it's downtown, which kind of sucks, but it's at the Grammy Museum. Mm-hmm. They're gonna show the documentary. There'll be a Q&A with Mavis afterwards, and yep. she's going to perform afterwards. Wow, that's pretty cool. Like, okay, you know what? I didn't even pay attention to that. You know, Mavis Stables, if you don't know. Is I saw it downtown, and I, I, I thought, well. Right, right, right there with you. But I, yeah. I, if you don't know, Mavis Staples is one of the premier yeah. Mount Rushmore gospel and blues singers. Yeah. Um, so I said, you know what? I'm going downtown. Nice. I think it's two Thursdays from now or something. Something like that, yeah. All right, well, let's let's launch into it, Mark. Is, is, there, is there anything that is more... Um, that more represents this last summer, the summer of disappointment, than Ghostbusters. Wait, here's my theory. Mm-hmm. I know you're interested to hear my theory. I'm, in, I'm fascinated we, to hear your theory, which we're going to talk about now. It's on Blu-ray, also on 4K. They're not; they didn't send us the 4K of it, unfortunately. So cannot cannot speak to the um, to what this looks like all all 4K'd out. My here's my theory. Yeah, my theory is. You can remake any movie you want. You can yeah. remake Gone with the Wind. Yeah. You can remake Ben-Hur. Mm-hmm. And they have. Mm-hmm. The issue is, did they do a good job? Did they, did, did they make it its own? Was it just done as a, as a piece of mercenary crap? Yeah. It's like what Nicholas Myers said about the death of Spock. It's not that... Sp- the question is not, will the audience accept that he died? Yeah. They will accept it if he dies well. Yes. And he died well, and people, ex- and people accepted it. Yeah. Here, it's not that they're making a Ghostbusters remake. It's did they do it well, right? Yeah. And I think the issue here is that all what pleasure we get out of it is really just seeing the costumes and the ghosts and the proton packs in 2016 and seeing Melissa McCarthy, who I adore, and Kristen Wiig, who I adore, and the other two I don't really care that much for. But um, <laughs> So not into the new SNL. So I'm not in into the new SNL. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd have to say that although uh, there's something here, it's okay. I had a couple chuckles. It just it didn't I, have the charm. It didn't have the originality for obvious reasons that the uh, that the Harold that the uh, Bill Murray one did. I, I just can't buy it. And see, I am uh, look. I I mean, and I particularly love Kate McKinnon. I think Kate McKinnon is one of the best things. She's the only good thing left on SNL. And I think she's one of the best things that's ever happened to SNL. She's up there in you know Will Ferrell and Dan Aykroyd territory for me. Um, but this is such a because this film was so ripped even before it came out it's like oh you just put a bunch of women in it and we're supposed to like it and then there was this knee jerk response once it came out where everyone felt like they had to defend it for for going with an all female cast you know well they took a chance and they did an interesting thing for a reboot and but but all of these all of these other ancillary issues aside here's the problem everyone seems to have forgotten that Ghostbusters 2 sucked I like Ghostbusters okay. 2. I like two moments in Ghostbusters 2. I like it when Peter McNichol says, Why am I covered this goo? That's funny. There are a couple other funny moments. But on balance, it doesn't work. Would you rather see Ghostbusters 2 or this ghost, new Ghostbusters? Probably equal. 
They're, they're, they're probably equal in my book. They're equally uninteresting. Neither one of them is terrible. But Ghostbusters is one of those movies that is very unique in the sense that 90% of what makes the movie, what made it great at the time and what makes it wonderful to go back to is that it was the first and one of its kind. It was unique. It was a joy of discovery, putting these actors together in this situation, creating this world. The first time that you saw, you know, Slimer and Ectoplasm and Don't Cross the Streams and on and on and on, Raining Cats and Dogs, you know, Mass Hysteria, Cats and Dogs Living Together, that all that stuff... You know, Annie Potts, Ernie Hudson. The, the, it was, it was, you know, I am, I am the, the, the gatekeeper. Are you the key master? Come on, you know, third rectification of the Voldrani, the destructor came as a giant slore. Rick Moranis. All that stuff was fresh, and it was unique, and it was, we'd never been there before, and we quoted it endlessly, and it was so wonderful. And when Ghostbusters 2 came out, that joy of discovery was gone. So where is the joy in seeing all that stuff come back? I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it wanes in ways that, that other movies don't. It just, that uniqueness subsided when you hit Ghostbusters 2. And just swapping in a new cast after a few decades, I don't think that, that scratches the itch. It doesn't it do does, it. Well, the reason why is because this one seems more like product, corporate product. It, it does. But I, don't, I, I would even say, even if it were as well done as possible, with the best script and the best cast and the best directing... It still doesn't feel fresh again. The joy of discovery. So much of Ghostbusters was not that it was well done, but it was the joy of discovering something that you never imagined could have existed. It was so unique and so different and such an, a completely unusual approach. And it, it just... Uh, well, what if this was what if this was a $15 million film directed by David Lynch? Well, you know you're getting something really <laughs> weird. Like, they're going to take it, it some just, crazy I, I, ass way. I think it was doomed from the get go. I think it was always doomed. There was an, and there's no way to do it right. There's no way to reboot Ghostbusters. Unless it's, you do something just, totally different. If it's just a, they're in New York again and there's, a, there's, a, there's an ambulance again and they, they who are you going to call again? I, yes, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to Let me put it this fresh. way. Let me put it this way. There are universes that you want to inhabit over and over again that lend themselves to a more detailed collection of stories, right? You can, I mean, we're going to find out very soon if the Star Wars universe can accommodate other stories that don't involve, you know, Han and Luke and Leia and, the, you know, the, 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 that whole central family narrative. We're going to find out if Rogue One can make that work, if that universe is big enough. It certainly has been for the fans on television, Clone Wars and all that stuff. Um, the Harry Potter universe. We're going to find out very soon if, you know, the Newt Scalamander stuff can actually expand that universe and people want to live in that world. Um, we already went there with Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit, sure. Mar- but these are very specific universes, the Marvel universe. People like living there. They like living there, even if it's a completely new character. Nobody, most people have never heard of Doctor Strange. They're going to go to that thing in droves because it's the Marvel universe. They like living there. There is not really a Ghostbusters universe. There's, it's not a universe that people enjoy inhabiting. It's just a it's, a it's a movie that was awesome once, but nobody wants to keep going back to that world. There just isn't enough there. It was that one movie. That one movie scratched the itch. It did everything it needed to do. You, you, you don't need to go back. It's not a universe that lends itself to all kinds of other narrative experiences. So that's what I say. But I think ultimately, and I agree with everything you're saying, but ultimately if this thing was funny, you wouldn't care about any of that. True. If you were laughing your ass off, you wouldn't care about anything that you just well, said. Well, you know what? I, if you were laughing yourself delirious, it would survive. But it still, you would still go, but it still wasn't the first one. Yeah. 
It, sure. You just wouldn't. There's no way it, it can surpass the discovery of the first one. No, you just can't do it. That's why they never made another E.T., because you can't go back to that universe, and you can't go back to that world and expect to pay it off. Uh, the only time I thought, you know, here, here I'll give you an interesting analogy. Uh, gremlins. Okay, you can't really go back to that world. You can't go back to the Gremlins world and, and you know, have you know, the, 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 have them with the water and the, the midnight and the whole thing and have that stuff go all over again. And uh, here we go. It's just, you can't do that a second time. It's just it's a it's a rerun. It's like a Friday the 13th or what, you know, it's like a slasher film. You're just you're just having Jason or 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 Michael Myers just repeatedly butcher people over and over and over again. You can do that in horror. You can't do that in something that's more dramatic or comedic. However, Gremlins 2 did a very smart thing, which was they said, "We can't make Gremlins again." So let's just do Gremlins and make it an absolutely unhinged, off-the-wall social satire, which they did. I mean, Gremlins 2 I like better than Gremlins because it's not serious. It's completely unhinged. It's just a wacky, insane parody of everything. It's a pop culture. It's like an episode of The Simpsons. It's nuts. It's like Family Guy. That is true. Right? That so you can do that. But you can't do that with Ghostbusters. You can do that when you put a couple of gremlins in the balcony of a theater and dress them like Siskel and Ebert. Uh, meanwhile, there is yeah. uh, uh, two gag reels. I don't know why they just didn't make uh, one big gag reel, yeah. but it looks better on the box. Gag reels, by the way, are funny. Why are gag reels funny? Because Melissa McCarthy, Chris and Wig, hilarious. Right. They're awesome. Yep. Although, and Kate McKinnon's funny, too. Good. Um, deleted scenes and alternate scenes and a couple of uh, making of featurettes. Uh, if you like this, if you like these ladies, uh, this is definitely worth it because and I love um, Kristen Wiig and uh, Liz McCarthy. Yeah. All right. So uh, the other uh, the other big stinker this week is uh, Tarzan, Legend of Tarzan. Okay. I here's the thing, Wade. Uh, here's here's <laughs> what I want you, here's why I, I want you to pretend you are. Okay. <clears throat> I um I want you to convince try to convince me. Yeah, because I I'm I'm president of Paramount. Yeah, I'm a, a Brad Gray, whatever. Yeah, I want you to convince me that we need to we need to sink. You know, I mean, I'm sure this thing was done for a decent cost. Well, this is Warner Brothers, just I mean, Warner out. Brothers. Yeah, uh, I want you to. I, I'm the president of Warner Brothers. Yeah, I want you to uh, say to me why we need to make a Tarzan film. Now, why we don't need to make it? Why we why do? Why we need to make it? I want you to go the other way. I want do you I to make an argument against your instincts. Do I have to feign enthusiasm? Yeah, yeah, you do. You're you're, you're pitching me. Oh, I'm pitching. I'm you. Kevin Tucci okay. Jahara. Okay. <laughs> you, you you must be a joy in Japan. Learn Japanese. Go over I've there. I've been in Japan. To... They love me there. They love you. Because I'm very tall. Sure. Yeah. Um, and you can pronounce nothing. So anyway, so Kevin Tsujihara. Uh, Tsujihara. Yes. So you're gonna can you you uh, you know what you're gonna convince me that that the movie that we need to sink. I mean, what what this thing costs? Eighty. It can't cost. It could not have cost. It was like a hundred. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was something. Um, you need to convince me why we need to make tar effing Zan because it's the stupidest <laughs> thing in the world. <laughs> okay. So go. It'll be the TCU, the Tarzan Cinematic Universe. That is not true. He's only one guy with an ape. Tell me something else. Why do we need to make this movie? We're going to have Margot Robbie. We're going to have a guy with abs. Mm -hmm. We're going to have Sam Jackson. Mm -hmm. We're going to have CGI apes. Mm -hmm. Why would this play internationally? (laughs) I can't do this. I can't. You can't justify this movie. I just can't. I mean, I I could pitch an art film. I could pitch you why we need to make it like Greystoke and be faithful to the novels. I can make that pitch. That was written by a dog, so that's a whole different story. Uh, it, it's a. Am- Here's the thing that's amazing to me. There, there have been on ba- probably at least two dozen Tarzan movies. More than that, probably more like thirty or forty a total. If you start going, you know, including all the Johnny Weissmullers and the Buster Crabs and all of them, on and on and on. 
Um, they, there's just been a ton of them. And uh, they, it, like, they're all, and you include the Ron Ely TV series. It's all junk, oh, except Ron for the. Ron Ely. Oh, what was the name, gosh, of, the, what was the name of, the, of, of the game show that Ron Ely used to host? The game show? Yeah, Ron Ely hosted. In fact, I've, okay, I have a story. You ready for a stupid story? Uh huh. <laughs> okay, I, I don't know why I'm about to drop a stupid name. Yeah. So, um, in junior high school, JJ yeah. had his own magazine. Right. Right? It was, it was mimeograph. This is like 19, uh, whatever, 56. And it was, it was not 56. Uh, it was mimeographed. And I was a writer for this magazine that JJ published. And so what I did for the magazine is I wrote reviews. Now, these are 50-word reviews written by a 15-year-old. Yeah. So it wasn't all that much. But the one review I do remember writing is for an old TV show hosted by Ron Ely called Face the Music. Oh, I remember a, it that. It was a Name That Tune ripoff. Oh, that was Re- terrible. Remember Name That Tune? Oh, yeah. Oh, that was awful. Yes, Face the Music. In fact, well, I remember my the last line of my review, which I still remember, although it was a million years ago. It was something about how uh, instead of facing the music, blah, blah, you should face the other. Instead of watching the show, you should face the other way. Aye. Instead of watching Face the Music, you should face the other way. That was some serious 15-year-old humor there. Good job. So that is Ron Ely, who hosted that show. And he was Tarzan. Now, back to Tarzan. So 4K, Blu-ray, ultraviolet. Uh, here's the thing. The high dynamic range, the HDR on this thing. I think, there's a, I, I think there's going to be an ongoing problem with movies like this and the way that they are replicated in 4K. And, I, and it's not the resolution. It is the fact that, they, that the CGI pops to such a degree that e- even if you are just already vaguely aware of the of the CGI, you become intensely aware of the CGI. It really, I don't know if, if that has to be resolved in the mastering. I don't know where that has to be resolved. But you become intensely aware of the fact that you're watching um, a, a bifurcated thing on the screen, that some of this was live action and some of this is created on a hard drive. You become intensely aware of that. It really, really delineates it in a very, very annoying way. Um, I don't even know what this uh, tagline means. A new threat awaits. What does that mean? In a world, I don't understand. Well, it means that ju- it means that if if you think Whatever. you've seen everything there is to see about Tarzan, d- dear viewer, considering spending fifteen bucks on this movie, you're wrong because you're going to see something new. Yeah. It's not all old. It's not just Tarzan dusted off. There's something yeah. new. Well, anyway, so th- this is this is not really even. Uh, this is barely a Tarzan film. It is not. It's it, it it's not the origin story all over again like you had in Greystoke. It is not faithful to the to the any of the novels. Um, I don't know why Sam Jackson's in this. I don't know why uh, why Christoph Waltz is in this. I, I don't. I don't. I don't like Christoph Waltz anymore. It's not. It's not good in any okay. way. It's not a good script. It's not. Surprisingly, it's not well directed. Um, you know. This goes back to my theory. You can dust off anything you want. You can dust yeah. off Tarzan. Yeah. Just make it good. No, I, in this Just case, I would agree with, with you. The, look, I read every single one of those novels when I was a, when I was a teenager, and they are amazing. They're great. Gay? Yeah, absolutely. Bear chested man. In the there you go. Yeah, it, you, you, uh, they were picture books. Yes, exactly. Edgar Rice Burroughs. He put little pictures of bear chested men all over the place. They were pop up books. They were pop up books. Uh, so to speak. So the the um, yeah, they're, I mean they're great. Some of them are, are not as good as others, you know. Uh, but some are pulpier than others. Some are much more dramatic than others. But it's a great world. It's a great saga. It's really extraordinary. And I, you, I don't know that you have to go that far and wide to to replicate that. But they want it to be something that it's not. They want it to be 
you know, this this big franchise thing. That doesn't make sense. I think that they should take all Tarzan. They should rewrite all Tarzan books. Yep. By replacing uh, uh, the Hardy Boys with Tarzan. Exactly. So you should have like you know, instead of like uh, the Hardy Boys, the Mystery of Cabin Island. Yeah. Be Tarzan. That's and it. The Mystery of Cabin Island. There you go. Anyway. Uh, tons of extras on this thing. By the way, folks, I'm going to work on that joke, and I'll get back to you next week because that didn't work. No. I admit it. No. I, I had a thought. Thought uh, the, uh, the road to comedy, uh, the bridge was out. I'm going to work on that material, get back to you. whole bunch of featurettes on here. None of them terribly impressive. Wade, uh, Mel Gibson is returning. He is slowly making his way back. Now, did you get your screening invite to Hacksaw Ridge? Yes, I did. It is uh, Yes, it is screening on the 24th. I'm yep. very, very curious to see this. Because uh, I think uh, with this uh, and Blood Father, which is the uh, last film he starred in, which came out earlier this year, Mel is slowly percolating. He's slowly plotting his return. And Blood Father is an interesting choice for him to make his return because in the movie he plays a very, very angry man, and which only makes you think about how very, very angry he is in real life. So there's a little weird thing going on there. But I will say this. I, I did like this movie, and I liked it for the same reason I was a little lukewarm on Payback. See, when yeah. Payback came out in 1991, I wanted to – and now the trailer set up the expectation that Payback was going to be just this dark blast of nihilism for like 90 minutes of just nothing right. but just hell violence. Yep. And it was going to be totally awesome. Yep. And Payback wasn't really like that. It was, it was, it was halfway there. Bloodfather, it is just blood-soaked, pulp fiction – Efficient, fun, lots of gunplay. Just, yes. it's just like a classic, I not agree. classic, but like a just a, a cool little blast of a chase picture. Totally agree. And I, so I, I agree. I, you, 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 nobody. It's not. A, it's not great cinema. It's not great filmmaking. It's not even Mel Gibson's best film. But I, I'll be honest. It's the kind of stuff that he does particularly well, and it is a better film for having him in it. I totally concur. It, it reminds me of Taken in the sense that yeah. Here's this little surprise with an yeah. A-list actor yeah. who just wants to beat the crap out of people for 90 minutes, and yeah. then that's it, and then it's over. Yeah. And it's like that. That's, that's it's exactly not as good as Taken. This is not as good as Taken. I love Taken. Taken's the best. Oh, yeah. No, Taken's amazing. But, Taken's fantastic. So this is not as good as Taken, but yeah. it, it's got that same just, just blast of violence and nihilism, and then yeah. it's over, and that's it. It scratches an itch that, look, every one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, has an inner vigilante. Every one of us. We all want to be Batman. We all want to be that guy who goes out. I want to be Wonder Woman because then I would touch myself all day. Oh, that is that is that that just really dragged the podcast into a very strange direction. It's a wonderful, um, wonderful place. Yeah. No. The uh, it, it, you just derailed my thoughts. Anyway. Uh, no, I agree. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. I derailed Wade's thought. So, Les Cowboys, which is a uh, film by Thomas Bidegain. Uh, this is an interesting movie. This is from Cohen on Blu-ray, part of their contemporary classics line. Uh, this had a nice run at festivals. John C. Riley, uh, Francois Damien. It's an interesting uh, mix of, of uh, people in this thing. It is. Um, it is a. Re- this is a really, really unusual co-production, and it's. It. It's in French and English and Arabic and Flemish and Pashto. So I'm including it with our releases this week because it does have English in it. It could also just as easily be a foreign language film. Um, it, is a, it is a very unusual but a very, very cool film, and it heralds a very, very interesting director in, um, in Bidegain, who's who I think is going to just keep making really, really fascinating films. Anyway, the, uh, it is not a Western. It takes place in France 
where there is a country western uh, event going on, and um, it, it affect it, it's basically telling you a western story in present day in contemporary rural France, and the it it gets into thriller territory at a certain point. This guy's daughter uh, vanishes. And then it becomes kind of a drama and a, and a missing persons film. And uh, without giving it away, it becomes kind of a strange buddy journey picture in a, in a way. It's a, very, it's a very unusual movie. It's the kind of thing that probably occurred to somebody in a, in a dream one night. And uh, it, it, it's, it, it has like – it's almost like if you take an American, an American genre and you superimpose it on like, a, like an Antonioni film – or some kind of uh, you know strange European introspective character study, some kind of psychological thing. It it has all of those elements. It feels like a nineteen. It really does. I, I guess Antonioni may even be the the best analogy for this. It, it feels in many respects like an Antonioni film with Western elements to it. That sounds cool. A little bit like The Passenger, right? And it's got some. Yes, of that, I love The Passenger. It's got some of that vibe to it. So anyway, uh, Les Cowboys definitely worth checking out. John C. Riley uh, keeps doing really interesting work. Really, really interesting work. So um, worth checking out. This thing was a bit of a big big cheese last year at the the festivals. Absolutely worth looking at on Blu-ray. It was Le Fromage Gras. Uh, the big cheese is what you just said. Doesn't play in France. The idiom's not the same. No, big cheese. If you walk I'm up to learning a, which idioms work and which don't y- work. You walk up to a French person and you go, Vous êtes le grand fromage. They're, they're going to look at you like you've taken way too much LSD. They just aren't going to, they, they, they don't know what to make of that. But here's the thing, though. I read an article, because I have a French girlfriend yeah. now, mm-hmm. who, by the way, lives in France. Yeah. You're saying, is it frustrating to date a girl who lives 5,000 miles away? Mark, is it frustrating to date a girl who lives 5,000 miles away? Oh, no. <laughs> no. All right. C'est formidable. When are you going over? January. Nice. We're meeting in New York for five days right. at the end of October. Yeah. And then I'm going there in January for a week. Are you going to miss the uh, awards dinner? You know what? I The reason why I might is because yeah. isn't our awards dinner? I think it's the, the 14th. I think isn't that the isn't that the Saturday before Martin Luther King the Martin Luther King weekend? Yes, I think so. It's the Saturday, Sunday that Martin Luther I, I think, King. Day. I believe so. Yeah, I'm going to try to take that week off because I'm only yeah. taking four days off of work because of the holiday. So that yeah. I might wind up missing the dinner. Have a good trip. Have a good trip. See you next Have fall. Have a good trip. But I'm pumped. Anyway, uh, aren't our listeners glad to have me back? (laughs) (laughs) So Reese Eifens, one of one of my favorite actors in the world, ever since uh, Notting Hill, he's like in his his underwear, his underwear with with the with the the T-shirt and the whole thing. I mean, uh, he has just he when he this is the mark of a great actor when when somebody shows up in a movie. And uh, they are so particularly that character, and you've never seen them before, and you say to yourself, I, this guy can't even be an actor. How could this guy ever have a career doing anything else? He is that character. I mean, it was like, it, it's like uh, Mads Mikkelsen in the Pusher films, right? You oh, saw him in that, yeah. you're, you're like, this guy is scaring me. He's not an actor. They just found this guy on the street, right? Because this guy is that character. And then you see them in another part, and you realize, wow, I am, I am, in, the, I am in the presence of an amazing thespian. That's how I felt with Reese Eifens, right? Really? After not, yeah, Notting Hill, not man. That he was, much. I mean, he's he was cool, that guy. Reese Eifens is amazing in everything he does. He just goes to these incredible places. So anyway, uh, I am talking here about Lennon Company, a little uh, indie you may probably almost certainly did not hear of. Absolutely worth checking out just for Reese Eifens, who is fabulous in it. He is so, so good. Uh, So is Juno Temple. Really, really good. 
Um, he basically play, you know, he's he, it's he's one of those gritty characters that he often plays, which is he's a, he's a rock star who um, is, is his life is just kind of unraveling, and he tr- does what people often do in movies when their lives are unraveling. He you know goes out to the country, and um, there he suddenly is confronted with. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give this away. He let's just say. Certain family issues present themselves while he is away that forces him to reevaluate his life and uh, to begin putting the pieces back together again. Uh, so that's essentially what this is. It is a guy who reaches the pinnacle and then finds that it's not really all it's cracked up to be and then has to try to, you know, restore his 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 life in some way. It is yes, it follows the the trajectory of things like uh, uh, Garden State. Was it Garden State? Oh, the Zach Braff. Thing? Yeah, sure. right. Okay, so that's one of those films that follows a similar trajectory. Uh, people usually going home again to deal with a crisis or to escape a crisis, whatever. It, it happens all the time. There've been like four released this year, but again, if it's well done, like that's our theme for the show today, you don't care. And here, it's just about giving Reese Eifens an amazing character and some great life issues to deal with. And what a great actor. And Juno Temple, so good. Why doesn't she have a bigger career? I uh, love she's her. terrific. She's fantastic. She, I, I think she's great. Uh-huh. Uh, you're right. She needs, you know what? I don't know if I want her to go the Felicity Jones being Rogue One thing. You but know? I want more of but her. But I want more of her. I agree. Yep. Yeah, I want more of her. Wait, when are we talking? First of all, uh, when are we talking about Criterion releases for January? Uh, go ahead. Do it By now. By the way, can I say something? Yeah, go ahead. Finally coming out on, on Blu-ray, a, a film that uh, 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 nobody will buy but me, Yeah, but it's coming out in December, yeah. one of my favorite science fiction films when I was a kid, The Quiet Earth. Very nice. Now, The Quiet Earth, finally, Jeff Murphy's uh, film. It's a good film. From 19-something uh, the hell. It's like yeah. the 80s or something. Yeah. Um, finally coming out on Blu-ray on yeah. uh, December 6th. I don't know what is on it, but um, I did read that it is finally coming out. And, very uh, nice. Very happy about that. Anyway, so The Quiet Earth. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Criterion on January. Rock on. There's a film that you will want to own six copies of, and there's a film that I will want to own six copies of. Yes. The film that's coming out in January. Yes, that we want to own 12 copies of between the two of us. Yes. The one that you want to own six copies of yes. is Something Wild. Why? I thought you loved that film. Something Wild? I thought you loved that movie. The Jonathan Demme deal with the, the, with the, the Michelle Pfeiffer? No. Something different. I don't like Something Wild that much. Um, I don't no, this is Something Wild from 1961. Oh. So There's another Something Wild from 1961. Uh, really? Yes. I don't think I even... Why would I want six copies of it? I'm missing I'm missing the joke. I have no idea. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a long time for me, <laughs> I have to say. But okay. you know what? Here's the thing. It's, it's actually... Something Wild is kind of a cool film because it's got a great score by Aaron Copeland. It's got cool titles by Saul Bass. And it's an interesting film from back in the day. Uh, but the film that I want to own six copies of is His Girl Friday. Oh, for sure. His Girl Friday, finally out. I want to own Blu-ray. a copy for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm, I'm not probably kidding. Friday. I'm not kidding. And also, mm-hmm. Criterion's got a, a, a new restoration of the 1931, the front page. Fantastic. Because His Girl Friday is based, based on, on the, the stage page. play and then the yeah. film, the front yeah. page. You know and what the best version of that, uh, of that particular story ever was? Uh, what? The best. Switching channels. Do you remember that? Oh my gosh! Oh God! Christopher, I do. Is that like Christopher Reeve. Or? Christopher Reeve 
Burt Reynolds. Yes. Um, I do Kath- that. Kathleen Turner. It was the best. Oh my gosh. You know what? It's just I remember that so movie. much better than the front page or his girl Friday. What? No, wait a minute. Actually, hang on. Now that I think about it, no. Actually, it was pretty awful. So never mind. I remember switching channels. Oh, so terrible. Looking looking it up now. Ted Kotcheff. Yeah. Who I love, but, you know. Yeah. No, switching. I'm I'm being really super facetious. I want to make that clear. So the only, uh, to me, uh, uh, something wild is good for who worked on it more than it is like a great film. Uh, His Girl Friday is just one of the funniest films ever made. Love it. You got to buy it right now. And uh, those are the two uh, notables. And also, not Criterion, but uh, if you want to check out a really cool science fiction film from the 80s, The Quieter. Yeah. Coming out in December. That's what I got, Wade. Nice. All right. So I'm going to roll through a bunch of other little indies here. Um, we got a thing called Broken Vows, which is on uh, DVD with an ultraviolet uh, code on it. Uh, this is just a kind of run-of-the-mill thriller about a woman who has a one-night stand with Wes Bentley. The woman is played by Jamie Alexander, not really familiar with her. She has a one-night stand with Wes Bentley uh, during her bachelorette party, and um, then, you know, he winds up becoming a creep. That's pretty much it. Um, you know, whatever. I, it, it goes where you expect it to go, and it really kind of rides on Wes Bentley just being creepy. Uh, Ice Girls, kind of a... I don't know what this is. Uh, this is probably a good rental, I guess, for people who have daughters who are into ice skating. It's about a girl who, who's an, uh, an ice skater. She gets injured. She and her mom move to, uh, you know, move away, and then in the new town, she has to... She gets her... Tries to get it going again, and there's a rivalry with another skater. It's a... You know, it's, it's just... It's... Girls ice skating rivalry on a, on ice. It's, I don't really get it. It's called Ice Girls. There it is. It's for somebody out there. Uh, Matthew Espinoza, good actor in Be Somebody. Um, this is an okay kind of low budget, almost micro budget indie. Uh, this is a guy who just uh, is about a kid. He's a teenager, and uh, he's uh, you know trying to become kind of a big pop star. And uh, then that's kind of it. He's just sort of trying to make do with his, uh, with his, you know, his coming of age. Uh, I don't really, I don't think there's an awful lot here that we haven't seen a thousand times before. There's a gag reel and a, and a featurette. It's, it is what it is, you know. It is what it is. It's kind of like a, they're, they're, it's sort of like a fictionalization of a low-grade uh, What's his name? That idiot pop star that I hate so much. Justin Bieber. Yeah, that guy. Uh, Confessions of Isabella. And this is also kind of a low-budget indie. Um, stars a couple of actors I'm not familiar with. Alexia Garcia and Alejandro Bravo. Feels like a little bit like one of those telenovela deals um, projected onto a... I don't know. It's not It's not overly low-budget. They... they, they Give it a they give it a, a pretty good stylistic sheen, considering that there was this there's no money behind this and that none of the actors appear to have much experience having done anything. Uh, but it's 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 not great. It's about a you know a woman who's uh, trying to become a you know a hip hop dancer. Um, you know it's got it's got moments. Uh, winds up taking a little bit of a weird turn with this murder angle in the story, but whatever. Uh, Confessions of Isabella, you know it's gritty. Uh, Subterranea. 
really, really interesting. Nicholas Turturro and William Catt, of all people. William Catt looking weird and old. Uh, Nicholas Turturro, really good actor. William Catt, still a good actor, a little bit miscast here. But this is an interesting um, low-budget science fiction film. And low-budget sci-fi can always be one thing or the other. It's, it's either going to be really interesting or it's going to be a great big stinker and it's going to be really obvious they didn't have enough money to do what they wanted to do. Uh, this thing was shot in Montana, and uh, it is, it's about a guy who, was, who has never, ever... He's grown up completely isolated from other human beings in society. So it's an interesting what-if. Like, if you detach a human being from all the things that turn you into a connected, sentient, uh, self-aware, educated human being. If you just rip all of that away, what are you left with? And um, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting kind of experiment. It's a very interesting, um, I guess, uh, social theory question. But anyway, um, that's essentially what this is about. It's got some behind-the-scenes stuff on it, which is also very, very interesting. If you like really challenging, interesting, low-budget science fiction, um, I would recommend Subterranea, also mainly just because Nicholas Turturro is really, really good. Uh, Bug Hall in this as well. Bug Hall? Bug Hall. And the last one I have here is called Sins of the Guilty. Uh, this is really trashy. Uh, look, look, at the, look at the tagline. I mean, Sins of the Guilty. What does it say at the bottom? Soon. She will know. No. Dot, dot, dot. No. Uh, Trina McGee stars in this. I don't know who Trina McGee is, but she is thrilled that she's got work because she gets to be in a movie that, uh, that stars her, her name above the title. Um, yeah, this is, just, uh, this is just a woman who's, you know, this is like a lot of these other movies we're talking about this week. Somebody's trying to get in touch with their life. This is another dancer thing. She's a dancer. And uh, she's trying to make it in the city, in the big, evil, horrible city. And, uh, you know, uh, bumps into all kinds of men issues and uh, infidelities. And, uh, you know, then uh, with everything else that these movies seem to do, then there's murder. So, whatever. Sins of the Guilty. It's a, it's a thriller. It's a, it's a thing. It's a, a movie that was shot with way too little money in a, in a big city. That's right. So, um, <clears throat> so, wait, there I was. Yes, there, we, there you were. Now, uh, I, I was walking to the uh, commissary on the Universal lot. Uh-huh. Because I work yep. on the Universal lot. I, I don't yes. work on the lot. Across the street from the lot, there is a very tall building that you can see from mm-hmm. the uh, Hollywood Freeway. Yes. It says Comcast Universe, NBC Universal on top. You've probably seen it many times. It's a very, sure. very tall, narrow building. Sure. The tallest building in, in that whole entire sure. section of, the, of Los Angeles. Yes. I work in that building. Now we're so not, are, are we talking about the Black Tower? Not the Black Tower. What, in New York? Black Rock? No. No, 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 no. The Black Tower on the Universal uh, lot, or on, uh, next to the Universal lot. No, it's not black. It's like brown. It used to be called the Black Tower. You, do, you, do you not know this? It's, it, the Black Tower is, is, the, is, the, is the big, tall, dark building uh, right when you go up the hill to Universal Studios. Um, yes. I believe that is it. So you're in the Black Tower. Wow. Yes, I am. I'm Do you know why it was called the Black Tower? It was a Black Tower when Lou Wasserman had his office in there because it was it <laughs> contributed to the the whole myth of, you know, the evil emperor in his castle. Yes, I'm in the Black yeah. Tower. Okay, you're if, in the Black Tower. My goodness. If, if, if not, then I am anyway. No, I am. Anyway, so um, I'm in the Black Tower, and I got to cross the street and go into the uh, Universal lot where I go yeah. to the commissary. Yeah. So there I am walking to the commissary. And who do I see sitting outside, legs crossed, relaxing in the commissary, outside the commissary? Brian Cranston. Oh, no kidding. There he is, my wow. first celebrity sighting. 
in on the Universal lot since I got there. Very and I bring nice. that up, not to uh, drop a name, but because Brian Cranston has a new film coming out on uh, Blu-ray called The Infiltrator. Now, wait, I'm going to admit something to you. Mm-hmm. And this is not going to make you happy. Yes. Brian Cranston, I don't get it. Why? At he's least in film, I don't get it. He's a good actor. He is. But somehow I feel like when I look at him, I can't take I know him seriously. You, you, you feel like the, he had a great run on Breaking Bad, and this is a guy who's paid his dues for decades, and nobody did anything with him except put him into occasional guest spots until Breaking Bad. And now he's suddenly a thing. He's a known quantity, and now they're shoehorning him into all kinds of movies while he still has a few good years as a leading man left. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying I can't take okay. him seriously. Okay. Like somehow I just always want to laugh when I look at him. Like I like in the Infiltrator, where he plays this federal agent who went undercover to infiltrate uh, Pablo Escobar's uh, drug trafficking scene in the uh, mid '80s. Um, I just want to laugh. I feel like he's doing nice. uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, I hear you. I get it. I, and by the way, it has nothing to do with him. He's he's invested. He tries. He's good. I just can't stop wanting to laugh. Like and, and you know what? He was up for an Oscar for Trumbo. I, well, yeah, I, I thought that was just undeserved. Undeserved. Totally I just, undeserved. I agree. I mean, they wanted to. They really wanted to give it a Trumbo more. Than, it was also a thin year. I mean, it was a thin year. And it's going to be a thin year this year, too. Who's going to be up for Best Actor? There have to be at least a dozen. I mean, this is one of those it's, it's rare. Casey, it's going to be Casey Affleck's year. It, it, it may be. But this is, this is also one of those weird years where, uh, like, like last year and I think maybe the year before, where we've had about a dozen or two dozen great roles for actresses, and then the, the male leads are very thin. It may, Michael Keaton is the only other person, I think, who's, in, who's really in the top running. Denzel, though. You know what? Denzel fences. I hear good things. Give it to Denzel. Love yeah. him. My all-time favorite. Yeah. Yep. Give him, give him an Oscar now. Anyway, The Infiltrator, a great, interesting story, um, directed by Brad Furman. Brian, here's the thing. If, if you love Brian Cranston, the Breaking Bad Brian Cranston, this is the film for you. This is the one where he gets to it's, – it's very tense. It's true life. It's got a lot of drama. It involves drugs. It's like it's got that whole Breaking Bad thing. It's very no nonsense, and um, you know, I, some of it is like kind of in that you know played out thriller playbook thing. But yeah. um, I just feel like uh, the story is interesting. The way it's presented is interesting. It's very tense, well put together. People who love Brian Cranston from um, Breaking Bad will love this because it's sort of like most analogous as opposed to Trumbo, which was like totally on the other side. So um, yeah. Kind of hot and cold on this, but uh, it's not bad. Uh, Infiltrator, if you are a big fan of Brian Cranston. Now I'm a big fan of um, – I am a big fan of um, Mark Strong. I love Mark Strong. He's cool. He's the best. So Mark Strong starred in a film. He should have been Sherlock Holmes, not the villain. Oh, he'd be Seriously. Great. Yes. Right? Great. Yeah. Uh, although, you know what? I'm sorry. Ian McKellen. I love that movie. Uh, really? Dr. Mi- Holmes, Mr. Holmes. Mr. Holmes. Mr. Holmes. Really? Holmes, what's it called? Uh, Mr. Holmes. Yes, terrific. Loved it. Okay, good. You, okay, fine. It's fine. <laughs> I did. Loved it. Yeah. Um, anyway, Mark Strong uh, gets a real showcase for his talents in this film, uh, Approaching the Unknown, which is a little bit like The Martian. It's about a guy who is on a solitary mission to Mars where he is going to us. Uh, <laughs> so the whole idea is that there's this experiment yes. that they want to try out on Mars. Sure. That turns dirt into water. Okay. <clears throat> now, why they don't try this on Earth first? No idea. Okay. Why they don't try this to help the people of Earth first? Don't know. No idea. No idea. They'd rather send a guy to Mars. Sure. To do it on Mars. Of course. So he is on a solitary mission to Mars okay. to help facilitate this experiment. Right. 
which means that he's got a lot of time alone. Yeah. A lot of time to contemplate existence. Of course. A lot of time to play this symbolic representation of man as he devolves. Absolutely. Into. So I feel like there's a lot of like that high-minded symbolism going on. Yeah. And with the thing with, with the thing with, with Strong, and, and you know, I, you can blame him, or you can blame you can blame the um, uh, the director. This is his first film, Mark Elijah Rosenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, he really directs Strong to a bit of a one note performance. Yeah, you know, like he's always in this state of like contemplation, as if like man's place in the universe is being contemplated in this very film. And I feel like this, it's, it's not, it's kind of humorless and it's, it's got these high-minded aspirations that it doesn't quite achieve. But the thing is, is that it has that Martian thing of a guy in space, well, obviously he was on Mars, but let's say a guy off Earth, off world, who has to use his ingenuity to solve problems and contemplate his existence. So it does have that. Now, as the Martian had a lot of humor, yeah. and that's really what, how people locked into that story. This is the opposite. Nice. Humorless, a lot of just high-minded contemplation. I will have to watch. So if you love Mark Strong, which, by the way, Wade I and I do. both do, uh, you might do I miss this. Unknown. I miss this. I'm going to have to uh, catch up on it. All right. So um, last one here of the uh, new movies before we jump into some uh, other TV and various things. i got a few some kid vid to blow through. Uh, Cell with John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson. This is uh, based on a Stephen King novel, which I did not read. I've read very few Stephen King novels. I don't much like Stephen King as a novelist, i got to be honest. But when it works, it works. This is just the stupidest thing ever. I, I have no idea. Like, it's, it's like Stephen King uh, said, darn it, uh, everybody's making a mint on zombie things. Why didn't I think of that? So he tries to come up with a Stephen King type zombie story, which is not really a zombie story, but it, it kind of is. And uh, this is uh, takes, this all takes place at well, it starts at, at the uh, airport in Boston, and uh, some strange audible signal goes through the cell phone system and turns a bunch of cell phone users into like crazed zombie killing people. And uh, it just it's it's suddenly mayhem, and the city's just going completely lunatic. And John Cusack has to somehow find his way through it by hooking up with who else? Sam Jackson, because he's in every single movie. Yeah. And uh, so suddenly there, you know, it's it, and it becomes a zombie movie basically. It's a uh, World War C for cell phone. I don't get it. Uh, it doesn't make sense. The whole thing is just ridiculous. Uh, Stephen King really bonked it with this one. I got to be honest. So anyway, you get an audio commentary with uh, the director, Todd Williams. That's Todd with one D, because he's cool. And then uh, a little making a featurette. I don't see any point to this, really, unless you're a big fan of everybody involved and have to be a Stephen King, uh, Stephen King completist. Comes with the Blu-ray and Ultraviolet. Sweet. TV. TV, Wade. Uh, There's a show, Wade. Yes. It's an AMC show. It's called Feed the Beast. Mm-hmm. Never seen it. And you never will, because it's already canceled. Ah, oh, so much for that. It was uh, David Schwimmer and Jim Sturgis. It's about uh, these two best friends who, um, you know, take one last shot at opening up uh, a restaurant. It was created by the guy who did Dexter and Nurse Jackie. Two shows that had their moments, but it's kind of like, okay, those were kind of of its time and not that memorable. Not worth rewatching, really. Especially the ending of Dexter, which people hated the last episode of Dexter. I know that was crazy. Um, how do you how do you bonk a last episode? Everyone uh, not needs you need to know how to do that right. That's true. 
Anyway, so uh, yeah, this thing's already gone. So if you're a big fan of uh, uh, David Schwimmer, if you're thinking to yourself, why has he had like no career since Friends and what he does, mm-hmm. he sucks at. Although he tried to direct for a beat and then that didn't work out either. But he's good. He is a good director. I give him props. Yeah, well, maybe you should be doing that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I would uh, I would pass on this because it's already gone and nobody nice. cares unless All you right. love David Schwimmer. Uh, Mike and Molly, sixth and final season. Are you a big fan of this show, Mark? I, this, that show's crap, but yeah. Ma, but uh, um, it gave us Melissa McCarthy, it so did. it'll always be fantastic. That's the that's what it's known for. So yeah, final season. Uh, you know, one of the one of the last of the three camera sitcom setups that used to just dominate the landscape from you know the early seventies right into the nineties. I mean, it was a good, good run, the three-camera show. Uh, of course, originally started with things like I Love Lucy, but really the three-camera show's heyday was kind of from Mary Tyler Moore all the way you know, through uh, Two and a Half Men. Oh, Mary now Tyler we, now Moore. It, apart, apart from a few things on cable and uh, the, uh, the, 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 the nerd show, that's it, right? Nerd show? Yeah, you know, Big, Big Bang, Bang Theory? Theory? Yeah, the that's kind of it, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, as far as I know. How about two, bro- two broke girls, three cameras? Uh, no. no right. I don't know. I've never yeah. seen that crap-ass show. I've, in fact, I've never seen it, and I already can tell I hate it. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, it's fine. You know, it, it gave us Melissa McCarthy. This includes a gag reel, and that's pretty much it. Otherwise, it's uh, it's all done. Mike and Molly finished sixth and final season. We also have uh, the Carol Burnett show. They keep coming up with yes. lost episode individual sets. Just don't a, care. This is a, it's awesome. Th- yeah, this is not the complete set. This is the collector's edition of Classic Carol, which is a six-DVD set. With um, uh, fourteen episodes just selected from the uh, the first five seasons, and uh, a lot of fun stuff in here, uh, a lot of bonus features. It's if if you really don't care about having it complete, if you just want something to throw on once in a while and watch something funny and watch some people be really really priceless, and you don't care that oh my gosh it doesn't have that sketch. And are you kidding me? I I spent for six TV set and I'm it doesn't have all of my favorite sketches. If you really don't care, if you're not looking for that one specific, this is perfectly fine. It scratches the itch. A lot of great guest stars. Uh, Robert Goulet, right? Bernadette Peters. Come it's on. Pronounced Goulet. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, that's it. It is uh, cl- the Carol Burnett Show Classic Carol Collector's Edition. You know what kills me, Wade? Lots of things can kill me. Yeah. This kills me inside. What is it? What is it? Why? So MTV, MTV has a show, Teen Wolf. It's been on for five seasons. Obviously, it's made for the teen audience, the MTV audience. Yes. No one over the age of, let's say, 24, right, at the outside. Sure. Who don't buy Blu-rays. They don't right. buy DVDs. Right. They stream everything. Okay. Not only do they come out with Teen Wolf on DVD, which no one will buy, but they actually split up the seasons into part one and part two. Uh-huh. Like if you're not, if you already know that yep. your audience is predisposed not to buy your product, why would you why would you break up the seasons? I don't know. It's just bizarre. N- no idea. It is bizarre. Anyway, Teen Wolf is a show, and it sucks. Goodbye. Okay, so I'm going to go through some uh, a whole bunch of kid vid right now as quickly and expeditiously as I can. Uh, Doc McStuffins, Toy Hospital. Uh, you know, she... Uh, she wait, she, wait, wait, wait. Last what? week, I streamed a porn called Doc McStuffins. Did you really? I did, and it that's, was very, very exciting. Well, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, this is not that. This is very Disney. This is a show for, for kids. A uh, little girl who, uh, you know, she's a doctor, and her, her toys come alive, and she's... It, it, anyway, it, my daughter does not really watch this. Uh, she's not into this. She's still into Sarah and Duck. She's going to be Sarah for Halloween. Did I tell you that? Oh, who? We, we went out my daughter. No, no. Who's Sarah? Sarah from Sarah and Duck. Whatever. 
It's a, Brit- it's a British Aww. show. Like all, all the stuff my daughter watches. It's a British show. A little girl with her pet duck. That's really, really very sweet. That kid is screwed. It's on Sprout. Uh, we even got the duck. We went on to Etsy and found a, a knit version of duck from Sarah and Duck. It's fantastic. And then the woman who knitted that said, yes, I've got a sucker who's going to no, buy this thing. You know what? This is the – by the way, I, I, I – yesterday, you're going to be very proud of me. We were playing with Play-Doh, and uh, I, am, I discovered – here I am, late in life, well, relatively midlife, and I discovered I am a master of Play-Doh. Do you know what I did with Play-Doh? I don't uh, want to know. And, I di- and, and I'm letting them harden right now. I'll bring them. I'll take pictures of them. Maybe I'll post them to the Facebook page. I'm very proud of myself. I made a Play-Doh version of Duck from Sarah and Duck. Duh. And then I also did the Penguin from the Wrong Trousers, Wallace and Gromit. Oh, you should have done the Penguin from Batman. Yeah, no, I made the Penguin from the Wrong Trousers. Still you have to be cool. impressed by that. No. No? Still okay. not as cool as the Penguin from Batman. Doc McStuffins, uh, Toy Hospital, welcome to McStuffinsville. It's the, you know, it's the usual drill. I mean, it's, uh, it's a few episodes, of the five episodes in specific uh, of this show, which continues to be really popular and cute to a lot of people. Uh, Super Mansion, Uncensored and Harder. This is season one of Super Mansion, which is not for kids. I bring it up in the KidVid section because I want people to understand, even though it looks like KidVid, it is not for kids. This is, uh, this is from the Robot Chicken guys, and it is kind of more of the same. It is uh, Brian Cranston shows up here again doing one of the voices. Um, this is a, about a, basically a, 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 a kind of a, a claymation or stop-motion animation version of an aging Justice League. And uh, it, it you know, goes into all of those particular jokes that you would expect. And it's, it's, um, it gets a little mature at times. So uh, it's funny. It's got some great voice casting in it, including uh, Keegan-Michael Key, who can just do no wrong. I, he's just amazing. Uh, but, uh, you sent me that uh, – was it you who sent me that, um, that magical – what was the magical Negro skit that they did? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The Magical Negro skit from uh, Key and Peele. Yeah, you know what? I love Key and Peele. Those guys are funny, but that skit was okay. What? But it nailed it. It totally nailed the whole subject. It did. I, I like the ending with the copy machine. Yeah, that was pretty funny. great. Pretty but great. I'm used to like, I'm used to like belly laughing when, I, when yeah. I watch your stuff. This is more like a hearty chuckle. It was. <laughs> uh, Odd Squad, which is, you know, one of the more curious live action entries on, uh, on PBS for kids. Uh, this is Creature Encounters from Odd Squad. Um, you know, Odd Squad means to be kind of spy-ish and kind of precocious and educational all at the same time. Um, it's, you know, basically a couple of kids who are spies and, you know, they they, they have the strangest assignments and jobs. Anyway, uh, so Olive and Otto, in this case, they, uh, they have all kinds of very peculiar uh, creature-oriented tasks to take care of, which includes uh, a unicorn. I don't really get this show. It's very annoying to me sometimes. Also, uh, from the wonderful world of Sesame Street, we have Love to Learn. This is Elmo just learning about a whole lot of fantastic, wonderful things, and uh, that's kind of it. It's, uh, it's just, you know, letters and numbers and shapes and colors, and it skews very young, and my daughter's already outgrown it. Big Little Movies uh, is, is an Umizumi, a Team Umizumi uh, thing, and uh, I also don't really understand that. This is a very specific Team Umizumi mission, and I, they, they, it's very clearly inspired by something Japanese, but it skews way too young for me or for my daughter at this stage. 
Also from PBS, uh, you, from Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, you are special, Daniel Tiger. Very cute, kind of growing on me. I think um, this is, I'm starting to, you know, I, I get into these things as my daughter gets of age of certain things. And this may become something that uh, she responds to at this point. I think she's about that age. Uh, very nice and educational. Much, much better than Caillou, which continues to just drive me crazy. Caillou the Courageous. I, I don't know what they have in the water up there in Canada, but Caillou absolutely just sends me uh, apoplectic. Um, this is uh, seven Caillou stories, all of them. The, the, here's the only thing. You've never seen Caillou, have you, Mark? I have not. Okay. The only thing that I can focus on in Caillou is how every once in a while they'll have a frame where everything is kind of cloudy on the edge of the frame. They, like, make it like a little cl- – they, they, they reduce your field of view on the frame that you're mm-hmm. looking at. I don't understand why they do that. It mm-hmm. really upsets me. Mm-hmm. Last three. Uh, Monster Magic from Sesame Street. This is, um, you know, Elmo and Abby and uh, lots of Sesame Street stuff, uh, including a a really interesting little Bert and Ernie uh, clay animation deal. They do that every once in a while. They're Bert and Ernie adventures in uh, stop-motion animation. Um, Kate and Mim Mim, the Mimaloo Zoo. This uh, show doesn't work for me at all. Uh, never has. If you like it, go for it. This is six episodes, including a bonus video of Mimaloo's Creatures. Um, yeah, it, it's a very particular kind of animation. Big purple rabbit. Don't get it. And then lastly, this is really, really charming. Uh, this is, this is uh, from Lionsgate, part of one of the uh, grindstone animation uh, stop uh, CGI animated 3D things that go straight to video typically. Elephant Kingdom. Really, really sweet story about elephants. Uh, well animated, very cute. Obviously not on par with you know Pixar or any of the, the feature length uh, stuff like this. But they get some good voice casting. And uh, Carrie Elwes and Patrick Warburton always was great. Uh, Carlos uh, Penavega. It's really, really good. I thought it was very enjoyable. Nice discovery. So that being said, Mark, classic movies. It's well, a good Wade. week. It's a good week. Now, I like the... Um I like these uh, little booklet cases. What are they called? Oh, the uh, the, 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 the 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 yeah booklet, the, uh, the the when they package it and it looks like a little in a little booklet. Yeah, yeah. The 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 blue what the Blu-ray book. Blu-ray book. Blu-ray book. This week we have a Blu-ray book. Another uh, issue. Uh, Warner Brothers do, is is really the expert at doing this. So. This is true. Um, anyway, um, the Capra collection comes. Mister Deed. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, ladies and gentlemen. Who does not love Mr. Deeds Goes to Town? This is a terrific film. Now, this is Frank Capra. Frank Capra, um, as you know, of course, did uh, It's a Wonderful Life and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Um, The thing with Capra is that he's very, you know, he's uh, very earnest and uh, he's not as, I don't find him as witty as some of the other directors from that era, like, you know, Ernst Lubitsch and whatnot, but right. he's still Frank Capra, you know. He's Frank Capra. You know what you're getting. Very sentimental yeah. and romantic and blah, blah, blah. Um, <clears throat> the bad news for me is that this movie stars, for my money, the least romantic uh, male leading actor of that era, which is Gary Cooper. Yeah. I always found Gary Cooper very wooden. But uh, here, uh, this is just terrific. He plays Mr. Deeds, who is this young provincial. He inherits $20 million from an uncle he's never met. And he plays a tuba, which is always cute. And so the whole idea is that um, uh, Deeds' new girlfriend is actually a reporter who has written bad stories about him. It's a great movie. Right? So little does he know that this girlfriend, played by Mm -hmm. Gene Arthur, Mm -hmm. is undercover as a reporter who has written bad things about him. So 
when he discovers this, he kind of dedicates himself to giving away the $20 million yep. to prove that he's a great dude. It's fantastic. So what's interesting about the film is that not only is it, is it a cute kind of screwball comedy, but it also gets into some pretty interesting themes of, you know, charity and, you know, being nice to your fellow man and, and, and being, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I, I find this film kind of um, a little deeper than a lot of the other films of that era. Um, I think that Gary Cooper, who I'm, as I say, I'm not a huge fan of, I think he's just really, really wooden. Um, I think he's terrific. And don't forget, folks, this is 1936. This is not, this is you know, a little post-depression-y. Yeah. So, there is, so for audiences of the time, when you're seeing a movie about a guy who wants to give away his money, you know, it really resonated with folks at the time. So I just think this film is not only a great film of its time, I think it really holds up well today. Um, I think there are, if you want a- examples of other screwball comedies, I might give you some, I might recommend other films. Um, His Girl Friday, maybe, or Philadelphia yeah. Story, whatever. But this is still really just top notch. Wait, did you like this movie? You I must love like this movie. movie. I you? love it. I love it. I, no, it is. It's just one of the all time greats, and it's wonderful that it's on Blu-ray. And uh, I could not be happier. I mean, it's it's Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur at their very best, and those are just two legends of the era. Can't get enough. So we got some uh, we got some uh, exploitation films from the Arrow collection. Arrow uh, keeps finding really interesting, just bizarre stuff from the past. It really is. So, uh, Vamp. Did you know that Grace Jones had made a few... I mean, she's, she made a few movies, but I, did you know that she made far more than... Like, did you know that she was in Vamp? Grace Jones? Yes. She was just that the, the villain from the uh, Christopher Walken James Right. Bond that's that, that's all I... That, most people think, oh, she shows up in that and maybe one other movie. I think she was in... Uh, was it Red Sonja that she shows up in? Anyway... <laughs> Yeah, I think so, she was, wasn't she the villain in Red Sonja? Yeah. So, um, anyway, Grace Jones is also in Vamp. And uh, this is from 1996. This was um, a, this is a Lakeshore film. You remember when Lakeshore just did nothing but wallow in just AFM crap? You'd go over to AFM and Lakeshore was just, uh, it was like crap central. So, anyway, this is, uh, this is a vampire movie, hence Vamp. But there's a little wink-wink, nudge-nudge. You get okay. it. Vampires can be vamps. Um whatever so uh yeah it's a uh, it's essentially about a couple of the fraternity pledge that turns into a vampire romp uh absolutely ridiculous totally insane grace jones hilarious the best thing about it is of course that this comes from an era pre-cgi so you get some really really good creature effects and uh, makeup effects courtesy of greg canham who's one of those guys like uh, stan winston they just they've sort of gone by the wayside right they just don't get work anymore because nobody needs them. It's too bad. It's much better than CGI. Lots of special features on here. Lots of you know TV spots and interviews and uh, behind-the-scenes featurettes, including a documentary with loads and loads, and loads of more interviews. Pretty great. And then equally uh, ridiculous but uh, a little bit creepier is the, uh, is the film Slugs, which is from uh, Spanish director Juan Piquer Simon, who made a movie called uh, Pieces. You remember Pieces, slasher mm, film from the early '80s? No. So Slugs is basically a uh, it's it's a creature film. It's a you know a, a, a horrible in monster epidemic movie. Like basically, it's the birds with slugs. Can we go there? It's the birds. It's aliens with slugs. 
uh, and they're just ravaging uh, everything in this town. It's ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous, but it's nasty. It goes to places that you just don't really want to go. So if you like this kind of stuff, knock yourself out. Loads and loads and loads of extras here as well, including a, uh, an audio commentary with Sean Hudson, who wrote the novel on which this is based. Now, I find that very weird that this is based on a British horror novel, but there it is, and uh, it's a fine commentary. I can't imagine the movie really is uh, echoes the novel that much. But anyway, a lot of featurettes, a lot of fun stuff, both Slugs and Vamp on Blu-ray, courtesy of the Arrow Collection. Wait, we have a two Robert Altman films on Criterion. It's a big Criterion week. Yes, although Shortcuts, they only sent to us on DVD, which it's it's been out on DVD before, so I cannot speak to uh, what the Blu-ray looks like. I, I'm, I'm pestering. I think they, they had a production problem, so I'm waiting to hear back if we can still get the Blu-ray. But we need to make mention of the fact that it's out there because it's Shortcuts. Well, it's Shortcuts, which is based on uh, the, a bunch of Raymond Carver short stories, and it is Altman at his very, very best. Altman, as you know, is just the king of just overlapping dialogue and free-flowing narrative and mm. all the sort of stuff that really Shortcuts gets just to the heart of. It's just great stuff. It is funny and dramatic, and the, the, the cast is just a total who's who. You know, Tim Robbins and Jack Lemmon and Robert Downey Jr. and Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, and a bunch of others. So Shortcuts is just a great film. Uh, as Wade says, we have not seen the uh, Blu-ray, but um, it doesn't matter because it's great anyway. I mean, they would, have to, they would have to print it upside down in black and white for us to, like, not think it's a must-buy. So there's Shortcuts from Altman. Now, the one we got to talk about is McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller is, it's really, it's from 1971, Robert Altman. It's, it, it's hard to really um, convey how revolutionary this Western was at the time. It has, it has an amazing sense of place. It takes place in a town called Presbyterian Church where this gambler, played by Warren Beatty, shows up to the town and decides he's going to just make the town his. And I think a lot of the power of the film is about how, you know, you can go into a town and you can build it yourself and you can get people to work in the town and you can get prostitutes to come and satisfy the men who are working in the town. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you know, you're yearning for love and home that's just never going to, it's just Mm -hmm. never going to be. And so... um, I just think this thing is just an all t- uh, just an all time class. You got to watch this thing again. It's a, it's a little bit of, it, of, of it is, is the power of the, of the time in which it came out, which is 1971. Um, and, and just you know, I just think this film is great. There's uh, there's no musical score. There's a couple of songs, but that's really it. There's a, again, it, it, this town is just a town that you. It just seems like it's just on the edge of nowhere, and Warren Beatty is great in it, and Julie Christie is great in it, and Keith Carradine plays this tragic kid. He's kind of this goofy kid. He's ridden into town. He's been with all the girls in the town, and the way he, his ultimate fate is one of just the all-time tragic, fatalistic deaths in film. I just, yeah. It was so heartbreaking when whatever happened to him happened I agree. to him. So it's got the Leonard Cohen songs, which are great. It's got amazing cinematography, the overlapping dialogue that... Um, Altman does so well is represented here too, and this thing is just—it really is one of—it's one of the great westerns of all time. I don't know, don't you think? I do. I think McCabe and Mrs. Miller is great. I do. I think it's fabulous. Love it. I think it's uh, one of Altman's most underrated films too. 
even it, it, though everyone it, knows it, nobody really gives it the credit that it's due. You know, because it, it, it's, 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 it's so quietly revolutionary in its own way. Yeah. You know, it's just a great, great film. Um, so and even like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Mrs. Miller even when you, we, you, you look at the title, it's like it's McCabe ampersand Mrs. Miller. Now, yeah. why is it ampersand and not and? Because in the film, they don't have a love. They have a business arrangement. Yeah. And so it's almost like a law firm. McCabe, Ampersand, Mrs. Miller. Yeah. Even there, you're getting a sense of what the film is really about and what it's really trying to convey about relationships. Uh, so there's just really a lot to take in with McCabe and Mrs. Miller, right down to the title. Um, it's just it's got such an amazing sense of place and mood, and just it's so dire, and it just it's just a, just a fascinating film. This thing is just you've really got to check this out, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Um, the other uh, uh, Criterion film is Boyhood, and what's amazing about Boyhood is that di didn't you find it weird that like, or just amazing that Linklater yeah. basically spent you know whatever sixteen years making a film that no one even knew he was making it. It wasn't even like that's yes, that's more interesting than the movie to me. I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of Boyhood. I I have all kinds of issues with it. It just I see the seams. You know, it's I'm I'm very very aware of the fact that this is constructed and it's like oh here's the kid now he's older that means they shot this you know a year or two later. It doesn't uh, it, it really doesn't pan out for me. If not for that gimmick, I don't think the movie would be quite so acclaimed. So if it was just a movie about a kid growing up. You yeah, think I think it was, it was a, this exact script shot with different kids playing the part over time. I don't. I think it's the. I think it's the gimmick that people praise more than the actual film itself. I don't think the movie is all that insightful. Uh, it's just, you know, great experiment, good for you, but I. It, it also lacks a certain dramatic urgency. I just doesn't work for me. You know, when you when you're shooting a film and you know you have to be finished by a certain time and you're on the on the clock and everybody's really busting their chops. You get more out of people if you're shooting it, and you, it's like, all right, we're just kind of doing a thing. We'll be back next year, and really don't know when we're going to finish this. Then it becomes kind of this casual experiment, and and it and everyone sort of rests on their laurels and leans back, and and that's how it feels to me. It doesn't, it feels, you know. So I, I apply A for effort, you know, B for uh, execution, C for final product. For wow, me. wait, yeah. the angry wait today. Arr. Okay, we got a couple of as we wind the show down. Uh, we've got uh, Takeshi Kitano's first two films, Violent Cop and uh, Boiling Point, are now out on Blu-ray from the Film Movement Classics line, which just keeps doing amazing stuff. First, it was The Best Intentions, which made me so happy, and now we get Takeshi Kitano's first two films. It's so awesome, I can't believe it. Uh, the Blu-ray transfers are fantastic, fantastic. Did I say fantastic? They're amazing. They are beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Um, they look better than when I saw these films when they were when they were first released, and I and I reviewed them. They're just great. Um, the uh, the story, if you if you don't know, Takeshi Katana was a uh, a comic in Japan, and then he had a horrible motorcycle accident that uh, that paralyzed him partly in his face, and he invented a new career. Basically, is this kind of granite faced, uh, violent. Auteur. He's made a few films that are not Yakuza movies, but by and large, his movies are very, very violent and very deadpan, kind of darkly humorous. And uh, they are unique, and he is an amazing filmmaker. He is, uh, his, everything about his films is just, uh, it's indelible, is the only way I can put it. Violent Cop, he basically plays a Dirty Harry type figure, um, and just a completely unhinged cop who, uh, 
has to get revenge against this drug lord after his sister is kidnapped. It is it is amazing. The filmmaking here is just spectacular. Stuff you've never seen before. And then in Boiling Point, um, he plays a uh, he's a supporting character in Boiling Point. The story is more about a baseball player who gets caught in a yakuza war, and uh, he plays this very unusual yakuza mob boss who uh, you know enters the picture at a certain point. Um, both of these just look terrific. I can't recommend these more highly. Uh, if you have not entered the world of Takeshi Kitano, beat Takeshi Kitano, as he's often known. Uh, you are really missing out. These films you can watch over and over and over. They are absolute collector films. Here we go, Mark. Now we're getting into the 4K stuff. By the way, can I say something? Yes. I just want to say, I was kind of goofing on uh, Gary Cooper. Yeah. Who's like the most wooden, least romantic actor of that era that people seem why to love would, for some reason. Why would you say that? It's terrible. I'm going to correct myself because he did star one of my all-time favorite comedies of that era. Yeah. Ball of Fire. He's so good in Ball I of Fire. I love Ball isn't of Fire. He? You it's know great. What? I, why I, is that not on Blu-ray? It's a great question. I uh, That was one of the first films for as the, the archetypal screwball comedy. When I taught American uh, or world film history, that was the archetypal screwball comedy that I showed the class. It was the best. Because, you, yeah, sure, you could show them, you know, uh, bringing a baby or, you know, his girl Friday, right? You, I mean, there are any number of them from the era that you can show them, Pat and Mike. But to me, that's that's it. That's like that the movie. pinnacle, isn't it? Yes. I it's just the movie. pinnacle. So I have to – I'm going to correct myself. Yeah. Now, well, not correct myself. But I'm going to say that I'm going to correct myself when I say that Gary Cooper is the least, is the most wooden actor of that generation yes. in terms of beloved actors. Sure. So I'll I'll notch it up because he was great and fun in one of my all time favorite comedies at that time, Ball of Fire. Okay, so. We have on 4K Ultra HD this week, uh, which also includes Blu-ray and Ultraviolet, um, both X-Men First Class, which I think is awesome, which I think is totally awesome, and that was when we introduced the uh, the young X-Men cast, which I, I thought they were just yep. terrific, uh, wonderful. And then we also have X-Men Apocalypse, which is another stinker from this summer. Uh, you know what? He, here's the thing. I, I, I mildly disagree. I'll tell you why. Okay. Because... Even if Apocalypse is, you know, one step up, two steps back in terms of the franchise, I feel like the X-Men films are the only superhero films that really delve into what they're really about. Yeah. Which is that, you know, it's such a great allegory for being a teenager. It is. Discovering your powers and discovering yeah. your place in the world and being alienated sure. from other people. And I feel like it... it, it it's not afraid of that. I mean, it, it doesn't become this, uh, this depressing discourse, but it, it's really not afraid of what it's actually about and exploring what it's actually about. I hear you. And even if Apocalypse is features just a standard villain who wants to take over the world, which is very disappointing, I feel like there's enough there where it still kind of retains its sure. place as the fran superhero franchise for adults. I hear you. Uh, I don't hate X-Men Apocalypse. I, I think it's uh, a little misbegotten. Uh, I think it overreaches in many respects and tries to do things it probably shouldn't do. But I, look, I, I like the X-Men world, uh, world in general. I like the X-Men cinematic universe. I, yeah, I'm not sure I wanted Fo uh, Fox to give this up to Marvel and let them take it over and incorporate it. I think they've done a pretty good job despite a few misfires. So keep it going. Let's see what you can do with it. Uh, anyway, Apocalypse... Yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, Brian Singer knows this world. He seems to be a little bit too comfortable with it. But uh, I don't know. How did you How did you feel about uh, Apocalypse as a as a villain? 
It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, that was the least interesting part of yeah, the film. Yeah, I agree. Because I agree. really what they should, instead of just another super villain who wants to take over the world, yeah. it should be somebody who can feed into that theme of alienation, finding yeah. your powers and your place in the world, but instead it's just like a guy who wants to take over the world. Anyway, they both look good. They look very good. Good good 4K, good example of Ultra HD. Uh, the Great Gatsby, I have more problems with. I think the uh, I think everything in this thing is just a little bit too crisp and stark and pops. It's just too much in your face. This also is 4K, Blu-ray, and ultraviolet. Um, the, the HDR, is it almost like pokes holes in your eyes. It's a little bit too piercing. So tons of interesting extras on Great Gatsby, though. Um, most of it you've seen previously on the uh, on the regular Blu-ray. The deleted scenes with alternate ending is interesting. Uh, Razzle dazzle, the fashion of the twenties is you know probably the only really really interesting extra on here. Uh, and then we have Jupiter Ascending, also on 4K Ultra HD. All of these again with Blu-ray and uh, uh, ultraviolet. Uh, Jupiter Ascending, just the strangest, weirdest most uh, stillborn thing from the Wachowskis. I... Wait, wait, wait. You mean the Wachowski brothers? No, the Wachowski sisters now. And uh, they... Uh, I, I just... I don't know where they're at. They, they, they occupy a very strange world under themselves, and uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Channing Tatum, very... And Mila Kunis, not really well used here. Uh, it's just too much... It's just too much. I think they're, they're, they, 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 ha- they need to settle down a little bit. Their ideas go so far and wide, their brains are working on overtime. And then I think the very underrated Pacific Rim. Get this, own it. It's wonderful. The sequel is coming. I think this film is terrific. I think this is a good old-fashioned uh, 80s-style um, action sci-fi film. It did not get enough credit. It is fantastic. It looks fabulous on 4K. It maybe is the best big blockbustery CGI action thing on 4K at the moment. It looks as good as any of these movies are likely to, so definitely check that one out. <laughs> I, 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 I know we're, we're, we're over, but th- when I saw this movie, I thought, this movie is so obnoxiously loud, but yet you're somehow hypnotized by it. True. You know, it's like, it's, uh, this thing is, is, a, is such a great, especially for the audio, it's such yeah. a great 4K showcase. It's a, it's a fantastic showcase, I, yeah. My, my problem with this film is that I just wish that, that some, uh, more of the fights had taken place during the daytime. Yep. They well, always have them take place at night where you like, they're, you, with know, rain. Huh? With, in rain. It's like, all you're doing is obscuring what I want to see, which is just like big old monsters going at it, but it's, it's dark and it's rainy. Stop that. All right. All right. We'll see you next week with the Halloween show. Halloween show.